Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. It's no secret in the US that drug prices are the highest in the world. How high, you ask? Based on the 2021 RAND study, the US pays 256% more than the combined pricing of 32 comparable countries. And the range, when compared to individual countries, was 170% of prices in Mexico to 779% of prices in Turkey. These are not different drugs being sold in other countries, and the utilization of drugs, how much we as patients or consumers take of these medications, is not substantially different across the different countries either. Are US patients consuming brand name medications that are still on patent and therefore more expensive? Somewhat counterintuitively, quite the opposite. In the US, generics make up 84% of the total pharmaceutical market. That's in terms of utilization, not spending. A larger share than in all other countries except for the United Kingdom. There are many reasons for this vast discrepancy here in the United States, including the lack of price controls, no centralized price negotiations, no national formularies or a centralized cost-effectiveness research that determines the value, contribution, and acceptable price of any new drug entrant to the market. In fact, the US health market is so fragmented with so many players and different deals between the various parties, it can be exceedingly difficult to determine what the price of the drug is. Even the US government, the biggest purchaser of healthcare and drugs, has at least five different price books for every medication, and the situation only gets more complex when you layer on federal and state programs. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down podcast as I talk with A.J. Loy Akino, who has spent his career in the pharmacy marketplace and is the CEO of Capital Rx, where they are disrupting the pharmacy benefit manager or PBM market space and changing the way drugs are purchased in the United States. Hi, A.J. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. So we have a problem with drug prices. I think everybody knows they're extortionate. What is going on in the United States? Why are we paying so much for our drugs? Well, I think there's a couple factors we should look at. I think one of them, it's just been quietly accepted that the United States kind of pays the world's bill for R&D, that we've always paid the most compared to other countries for drugs. And you know, the defense is always well, like, you know, it's very expensive to create new therapies. And so without 
the U.S. paying more money, we couldn't have these wonderful therapies. I don't necessarily believe that, but I think that's a starting point for this. I also think drugs kind of snuck up on us, you know, and what I mean by that is, you know, if we go in a time machine with me back to 2000, you know, how much were pharmacy benefits for a payer? 5% of total healthcare, 7%, you know, and now over time, that's compounded and expanded through inflation and proliferation of specialty and high cost medication. And for payers, that might be 20%, 30%. There are some small payers where it's 50% of their total healthcare spend is pharmacy. And so I think it's snuck up on us over 20 years. And then I think we have a very complex supply chain. And that is an understatement. And we could dive into that when you're ready. <laughs> but I, so let's focus on that increase. Do you think we've gotten that increasing percentage of value through the increase in uh, the cost that these uh, pharma uh, contributions make to our overall health care? Do you think there's been an increase and in, actually we've done so much more with drugs that we should expect to pay more? Well, I think there's some wonderful therapies out there. I think it's an age of cures that have actually emerged in my lifetime that we didn't you know, often believe would be possible. But the question is, how much is a cure? You know, Is it a reasonably priced cure of $600 or is it couple hundred thousand dollars? Is it a limited distribution drug of a million dollars? And so I think there's a wide universe of what we would say therapies that have different values. Um, and that's, I don't want to dive too deeply into that, but that's in the eye of the beholder. And value for a, a, a treatment is obviously the eye of the beholder. If I'm the one that receives that one drug at a high cost, I obviously assign a very high value. That's a very complex area. But when you think about the broader strategy and the way in which drugs are priced, I, I've got to be honest, I've lived in this country for a while. I don't have the faintest idea how a price gets established for a drug. And I, I look around the corner and it's different no matter where I go. What's going on? Well, I think you're spot on. I think if you really wanted to examine the problem, even the federal government really doesn't understand what things cost. And that should be alarming to everyone, because if the largest payer in the country, the federal government, has trouble determining the price of drugs, how is a smaller payer or a patient supposed to navigate this? And, you know, what I always use as an example is, you know, on some level, the federal government, you know, just broadly looking at price at any one time has like five different prices on its register. You know, and what I mean by that is if you had like a thousand dollar drug, you know, Medicare might pay $500. DOD might pay 475. The VA might pay 400. Medicaid might pay 350. 340B might pay 220. Well, why is there a different price for the federal government so many different times. It makes no sense. It would be the equivalent of me selling a jet to the federal government and saying, for the Air Force, it's the same jet, it's a billion dollars. But for the Marines, we're gonna charge a billion too. And for the Army, it's 500 million. It, it makes no sense. And I think part of this is drugs kind of surprised the United States. I mean, it was a 21 year surprise, but. I think suddenly we're like, wow, this thing's expensive. It's not going away. And it's making up a larger and larger part of our total healthcare costs. 
So the overnight surprise after 20 years, we've discovered that drugs cost this wide range. You're telling me that the government of the United States has multiple prices and they're not coordinated. That doesn't sound very hopeful. I got to be honest, I'm listening to this and thinking, well, we're on a slippery slope and this is just going to consume, you said, 20 to 50 percent. But we're talking about even more now. And with some of these drugs at you know, astronomical prices for some very rare diseases that could consume the whole healthcare budget. We've got nothing left for anything else. Is there actually a strategy to help solve this? Well, I think what you would normally see is necessity is driving innovation for the first time. So I think we, not that I would say hope is a strategy, but I think the public should be hopeful is that investment dollars are pouring into health technology and health benefits to create efficiency. And really what we're starting to see is we're starting to unwind the supply chain. And the United States supply chain is complex, but at the highest level, if we had to look at it, you have manufacturers, brand or generic, and you next in the supply chain hop have wholesalers. You have people that handle logistics like Amerisource Bergen, McKesson, Cardinal, and then you move down the supply chain to the next hop, and that is pharmacies and hospital systems. And eventually you get to the payer. This could be an employer group. This could be the federal government, a state. This could be just a patient who's uninsured even. And it's this supply chain that's so complex because price is changing throughout it. And price changes not just in each hop of the supply chain, but price changes depending upon who touches it. So going back to the hope and the innovation that's helping us, what you're starting to see is a lot of different companies suddenly start to look at the supply chain and say, can I unlock value? Can I unlock value by skipping a hop in the supply chain? Can I unlock value from, by becoming one of these entities in the supply chain? Can I unlock value from what I would say freeing the obstruction that often happens where many of these entities aren't allowed to freely communicate? We have very inefficient markets in the supply chain and say, I don't think there's one solution, Nick, to be fair. But I think what gives me warmth and hope through this holiday season is the fact that you have so many companies tackling it. And it's not if it is going to get better, it's when it's going to be better. And I think that when is we're starting to see that bear fruit today. But I, I, as I listen to you, I'm thinking about that history of 20 years. And, you know, I've participated in this, watched all of these things. People have come in and they said, we can solve this problem. But what a lot of instances of that were, were it was just somebody else. And they cut out an individual or one of those pieces of the supply chain. They replaced it with theirs. Maybe it was a little bit less. But that true value, you know, the lower cost to trickle down, we didn't get. That, that just didn't feel like it was going to happen. Yep. Well, I mean, to be fair... And this is just my personal experience over 21 years and counting in the pharmacy supply chain is I think all too often, a lot of innovation comes in the guise of making an improvement, but it may just replace something in the middle, move some money around, but we don't see any significant or material change. And I think that's a, that is a fair 
observation. I'm right there with you. But what I am finally seeing is that technology is helping create the efficiency as well as the connectivity to create what I think couldn't have been achieved even 10 years ago. So what's changed? What is it that made that um, stepwise function that allowed us to move to something that says we can start to solve that? I mean, we've seen the steady progression, improvements in technology. Is it more data, more transparency? What's allowing for this? Because I want to be hopeful too, because you know I need the system, I need it to work, and I need it to be affordable. Well, I think there's a lot of different things that are taking place, you know, over this kind of 10-year span that have made this possible. So one area that I go to immediately is on the technology side. You know, efficiency plays a huge role in bringing down healthcare costs. You know, much of healthcare was scaled with people. And, and why wouldn't you scale with people? I often point this out. Let's stick with pharmacy benefits here. Um, why wouldn't you scale with people? I often say pharmacy benefits is the best industry in the entire country. It's an inelastic demand curve, doesn't budge. I don't care if there's a recession or boom times, patient utilizations rock steady in the United States. Second thing, list prices only go up in the United States. So we have hyperinflation on drug costs. And the last thing is we have proliferation of specialty drugs. So expensive therapies are coming faster and being obviously included in, in more formularies each year. And that's driving up the cost of drugs. So, you know, during this great period, you know, 21 years of expansion in pharmacy benefit, it's not slowing down. The industry had no need for efficiency. Why, why would you? And so scale of people played a huge role in this. You know, tens of thousands of people to manage a PBM. I don't think so. You know, to be fair, I think even the largest PBMs should be run by a few thousand people. You know, tech enabled workflows, process flow automation, deep learning, uh, you know, leveraging AI. There are so many things that a machine could, I don't want to necessarily, you know, say do better than a human, but provide accuracy and efficiency that we just can't do. And that's all industries. You know, we shouldn't feel badly for pharmacy benefits that we're picking on them. This is innovation that's been seen in every industry. And, you know, to be fair, healthcare has lagged behind many industries. And it often, the reason, the root cause of this lag is there's been endless money. You know, why did you have to improve? I mean, well, I, I didn't sell one additional account, but my top line magically goes up 7%. I wish every industry could enjoy, you know, enjoy that kind of uh, headroom. And so I, I think when I look at one of the factors, as you ask, efficiency plays a huge role and technology is helping bring down costs each day. So technology improves the overall efficiency of the chain. I, the other thing that I hear in all of that is that you know, the world is changing. This idea that this is an open checkbook and we can continue to increase. And again, I feel like I've heard that repeatedly, but, you know, we have, at this point, I think we're at 18% and it's been almost stable. I, I'm, I'm Maybe I'm not exactly right, but, you know, as a percentage of GDP for the total cost and it's not increased, we've seen some attempts to reduce it. So 
maybe that pressure is applying it. So now we have to get to the point where we're satisfying as many of these masters as possible because they're all pulling. Everybody's pulling from that same pot, right? So it feels like somebody's got to lose out potentially to technology, you know, to some innovation. But the ultimate goal of this is to deliver affordable uh, drugs, but still enable the innovation and the, the stream of um, new therapies that we are dependent on. And all of that costs money. People have to make money. How do you go about that? Well, I think, Nick, you're, you're hitting on it, which is we're starting to see that total healthcare costs as a percent of domestic product is kind of flatlining you know, which I think is the first phase of technology and innovation bearing fruit. I think it's efficiency, it's not needing as much overhead, and it's for everything in the pharmacy supply chain. It's from supply chain software, making manufacturing more efficient, to logistics through the last mile in supply chain delivery, innovations uh, in delivery. I think you're looking in also efficiency and administrative management on the PBM side where our company is. And I think also it's in patient engagement and patient management. So you're, you're starting to bear fruit, you know, which is these costs are coming out on some level. I even think you're seeing costs come out in R&D. I think there are many, you know, wonderful companies that have been formed in the last few years that are helping create more efficient clinical trials and reduce costs there as well. So I think we're seeing costs suddenly stabilize, but I think the next reasonable question is like, well, how do I get to affordable? All right, we stabilized expensive. How do I get to cheap, but high quality? And I still go back to, you can't do this without technology. Now, some of it is going, you mentioned, like anything, there are power dynamics in any marketplace. And I think if you were to look at pharmacy benefits, PBM has played an outsized role in really controlling the supply chain, especially in the last 10 years. You know, I come from pharmaceutical manufacturing, and I hate to tell people in manufacturing, you lost control of the supply chain the moment we gave birth to the managed formulary, which was about 2004. When that happened, pay-to-play economics kicked in. And unfortunately, pharma on some level, through the use of a formulary, became a commodity. Someone has a drug in a therapeutic category. The question became, who will pay for that privilege? And then until you become a generic, where then it's just on a cost basis of a race to the bottom of how many manufacturers are making your drug to reduce that cost, since there's a direct correlation between number of manufacturers and cost. Um, I, I think that's the power dynamic that has to be reconciled as well. I think efficiency plays a role, but I think we need to somehow, I'm not sure how we get there, see a little bit more even distribution of power return to the supply chain. Because if one entity has too much control in the supply chain, I don't necessarily know if the best outcome will be achieved. Now, someone would be like, well, through pure purchasing power and control, but without counterweights, unfortunately, that can go in one direction without any checks and balances. So when you start to distribute that power, you're talking about ultimately down to the patient where they're going to see some of this benefits. 
in a marketplace that offers them treatments that are economical, delivering the value, but at a price that they can afford. You see that clearly as part of the vision and the future. How do we get there? Well, I think we're seeing it now. I think I go back to my earlier statement of technology and connectivity. So when you think of these kind of four hops in the supply chain, that suddenly you're seeing connections that never existed. Like could pharma really engage with a patient directly? Well, we're starting to see that. You know, could a wholesaler engage with a patient? Could a payer engage with a wholesaler? You know, and I think this is starting to disrupt the natural flow of the supply chain. If things flow the same exact way, I think the power dynamic stays put. But when you begin to empower and engage and connect different entities in the supply chain, I think innovation is taking root there where you're going to see reduction in prices, greater efficiency, better care. And and that's what I genuinely believe. And I think we're seeing it. It takes a very careful eye to see, um, but it's happening. So we've got hope. We have real potential to actually change and I I would say disintermediate in in part with workflow, but specifically information and the open access to information. It takes some understanding. I mean, this is not a a simple subject. It sounds simple when you talk about it, you know, it's this chain, it starts, but there are some elements to this that are complicated. So it clearly needs some Yoda within here that can guide the process to a model that is supportive of everybody in play. And that's the patient, but also the pharmacy benefit manager who delivers value. Oh yeah. It's been a little bit concealed, I want to say. No, I agree. And to kind of keep riffing with your Star Wars reference here, I think there are lots of Jedi out there that see what is happening. They are making a difference. And I think you're hearing a chorus, you know, slowly grow in volume. And that's exciting to me. Well, I, I'm excited. I, I got to say, I've watched the drug prices and, you know, fallen foul of that in a number of instances. I think the challenge for all of us is that at some point, I, I, maybe there are some folks that never need medication or never need drugs, but uh, that's certainly not me. And I think most of us at some point are going to need it. We all need this to work. We need some opening up of those channels um, and I'm looking forward to how that happens in our future. AJ, thanks for joining me on the show today. Oh, thanks so much, Nick. It was great to be here. We live in the age of cures, but many remain out of reach thanks to the rising cost of healthcare, with drug pricing now contributing as much as 20% of the cost, and sometimes even as high as 50%. Unlike other industries, the market forces are prevented from working. List prices rise, costs go up, no matter the economy, with an inelastic demand curve. The endless money gravy train of healthcare is over, with the first phase a flatlining of costs supported by technology, innovation and data that is feeding a new clearinghouse model for drug distribution and bringing back control of the supply chain to evenly distribute the market powers that drive down costs in every other industry. Investment dollars are pouring in to unwind the complex and opaque drug supply chain, identifying not just the steps, but also the changes and variable markups that take place at each of these stages, 
bringing a much needed efficiency to an essential part of our healthcare system. Your better pill to swallow? Engage in new models of supply for drugs. Insist on transparency and don't settle for the traditional position. That's just the way it's always been done. Seek out the distribution and new players in the supply chain who have left behind the old model of a steady and continued increase in costs. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.